summer. Why don't you guys get up on your feet? Find somebody tell them good morning. Great. 
Good morning, everybody. Some songs just make me happy. I just, what's that part you do? Some after, someday. That's awesome. I'm going to do that someday, like in heaven, and everybody be like, would shut him up, please. It is so good to have you here this morning, and uh, uh, we already mentioned that fall has, uh, you know, it's funny. Fall is funny in Texas. It's no different than summer, but, but uh, January is coming. That's winter. There's like about a weekend, <laughs> but uh, I hope you're doing well. You know, the songs that we just sang talk about a relationship with God through Jesus, and I just want to make it clear that that's not a Baptist thing. That's not even a church thing. That's a child of God thing, that Jesus Christ offers you forgiveness. I mean, you do not have to die in your sins. You don't have to die in your sins. You do not have to face the judge wondering whether or not what he's going to do with you. You do not have to fear that. It says, First uh, John chapter 1, verse 9 says, All who call upon the name of the Lord, if you, if you confess with your mouth, uh, and you, uh, I'm messing the verse up. It doesn't matter. Forgiveness. I'll do another verse. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That whoever believes, I, I'm what? Just do the summer afternoon. This is what happens when I wax... Without, a lot of, without anything in front of me. First John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what I was trying to say before. And I just want you to know that if you're here this morning and you, and you, have, and you know that you're a sinner and you, you don't know for sure whether God has forgiven you, you can do that right now. Just accept his offer to forgive you. How's that? Better, huh? All right. Well, we're glad you're here. And, and for the family, welcome back, Carpenter's Way. For those of you watching on Internet, we're glad you're watching with us. Um, I just want you to know that I, am, I just love you. I'm so glad to be your pastor, and uh, I'm so excited for this morning's message. Um, and I'm excited about where we're going to be in Thessalonians in coming week. We are uh, wrapping up next Sunday. We'll be wrapping up our most recent series, uh, Out of Stained Glass, um, The Emotion Edition. Uh, what, did, what did our patriarchs feel? Uh, and uh, I'm excited for the next two weeks. And then we'll be going to Thessalonians, which will be a phenomenal study. Um, I'm, that one is going to, that series is going to be called It's Personal, Not Business. So I'm pretty excited uh, with that series. So we'll want you to be joining us in that. And uh, so, so plan on that. Would you, would you open your worship guides? There are a few things I would like to highlight today. Number one, our missionary uh, this week is uh, Rosina. Uh, she is a... Uh, in Madagascar, we met her through Africa Inland Mission, through Tori Alverson, who went and spent two years with her. Uh, she lives in a village in an island off of the Madagascar co coast, and uh, we support her as she disciples and reaches people for Christ in a village area. Uh, we sent a group of people this last summer to see her. In the coming years, we're hoping to send uh, more teams, uh, but please be praying for her. These are her people. She was raised there, and she brings Jesus to them, and that is a very important thing. I also want to mention um, a couple other things. We have uh, some more baptisms coming up. I think we have nine next Sunday. Um, and uh, if you are interested in being baptized, if you, if, if you are a child of God and you've never stood up, stood up in front of God's people and said, look, my life belongs to him and you would like to do that, if you'll make contact with me or Jeff or Alicia, we would love to have you be a part of that uh, in coming weeks. Um, I want to mention also that another thing that we do regularly here is we have family dedications. And often when, uh, when a baby is born into a family, the family wants us to pray for them as a church. So we'll take time on a Sunday morning and lay hands on them and as a whole church pray for them. And uh, we have a family dedication. There's information uh, in the worship guide about that. So please take note of that. And if you'd like to be a part, you can contact uh, Alicia. And I also want to mention that there's information on women's Bible studies and men's Bible studies. We, uh, we think we have a good Sunday morning thing going on, but really the body life of the church is, is, is very, very important. And we would encourage you to be a part of that through our small groups, 
after and before Sunday morning church, as well as the women's Bible studies and the men's Bible studies we've got going on. Build relationships with folks. And if you are visiting with us, that is how you uh, get to know people. So um, I'm going to ask our ushers at this time to come forward as we prepare for our offering. Um, our offering helps us to pay the bills here, of course, but we also support 10,000 missionaries uh, locally and globally through the Southern Baptist Convention and about 14 other mission organizations like the Mosaic Center, the Pregnancy Help Center, and then individual missionaries like Rosina you saw in there across the globe. Uh, so that's what our offerings go for. So here's the thing. If you are not a member of Carpenter's Way or don't attend here regularly, this offering isn't for you. Just pass the plate as it comes by. This is for those of us who attend here regularly. We're just glad you're here. We don't want you distracted by money. We want you to know Jesus Christ. So uh, thanks for being here this morning. Let's pray and commit the rest of our service to the Lord. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love us. I thank you for your mercy and your grace, that it is sufficient for, uh, to, over, to overpower our sin and our guilt. I thank you that it's free to any man or woman who desires to not have to pay for their own sin when they die. And I pray, Father, that in this room this morning, that uh, if there's someone who doesn't know you or somebody on the Internet, we pray, Lord Jesus, that today would be the day they accept your gift to forgive them. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we gather in a safe place, in a comfortable place, to hear from you and, and uh, to worship you and to celebrate you. And it is my prayer, Father, that you would be glorified in our time here today. So we commit the rest of our morning to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. 
His love is shining, calling every broken heart. Come out of hiding, healing for the hurting, and freedom from the dark. He is brighter than a million stars. Oh, brighter than a million stars. His love is shining, calling every broken heart. sight by faith we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us because of our faith Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory
in the Bible Belt or you grew up going to church, sometimes we forget what it is we do every week. I mean, to come together and sing songs like that, and it's, uh, it's, it's hard to remember that God still got this. You know, the word holy actually can be translated uh, a mature. It's the same word we get sanctuary from. It means set apart, mature, completely thinking. And when we sing that He's holy, uh, it's a real important reminder for all of us that uh, no matter what junk you're hearing on the news right now, God's still got this. These presidential elections may affect our comfort, but they do not affect our destiny. And uh, it's easy to forget that. It's easy to forget that. So, uh, wow, what a, what, a great, what a great time of worship. Let's just thank the Lord for that. Let's pray for our kids as they go into their programming. Father, we thank you. We thank you that as, we, we stand, as I stand here and we sit here this morning, as the kids go to their programming, we know, Father, that no matter what happens this afternoon, it is still well with our souls. I thank you for our worship team that reminds us of that each week. I thank you that we can open your word and we can be told that, uh, that you are our firm rock. That don't waver because of politics or governments or even our circumstances, but that we can trust you. So it's my prayer this morning, Father, that this would be a time of encouragement for the flock. Help us, Father, to see you as you are. And to be courageous because of it. We do love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was on February 24th in 1836 that William Barrett Travis, the commander of the Texian rebels in the former mission known as the Alamo, would write a plea for help during Santa Ana's siege of the Alamo. Travis wrote a letter addressed to the people of Texas and all Americans in the world. This is what he wrote. My fellow citizens and compatriots, I am besieged by a thousand or more of the Mexicans under Santa Ana. I have sustained a continual bombardment and cannonade for 24 hours and have not lost a man. The enemy has demanded a surrender at discretion. Otherwise, the garrison are to be put to the sword. If the fort is taken, I have answered the demand with a cannon shot, and our flag still wades proudly from the walls. 
I shall never surrender nor retreat. Then I call on you in the name of liberty, of patriotism, and everything dear to the American character to come to our aid with all dispatch. The enemy is receiving reinforcements daily and will no doubt increase to three or 4,000 in four or five days. If this call is neglected, I am determined to sustain myself as long as possible and die like a soldier who never forgets what is due to his own honor and that of his country. Victory or death. William Barrett Travis. P.S. The Lord is on our side. When the enemy appeared in sight, we had not three bushels of corn. We have since found in deserted houses 80 or 90 bushels and got into the walls 20 or 30 head of beeves. Travis. That's what it looks like to be resolved. That's what it looks like to be resolved in your task, in your position. And it's a story that every Texas child is taught and many are taken on a pilgrimage to visit the very site where this great man was killed. To be clear, this man was not just a character in a movie or a guy in a history book. He was a man who was resolved to do what his task required, even if it meant that he would never personally see or feel the re results or the respect that that resolve would garner through the years. And it has forged a character in this state that to this day is still there. This well-known story reminds me of another well-known story. Only this one isn't found in the history of Texas. It's found in the Old Testament book of Daniel in chapter 3, if you turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, you can look. It'll be on the screen behind me. The nation of Israel had been overtaken by an evil king named Nebuchadnezzar who ruled Babylon. It was in an effort to control that nation that he kidnapped the best-looking and the brightest of Jewish young men. He took them into his home, he took them into the capital city, and he gave them training, training in leadership, training in governance, training in the laws of Babylon and the reasons for him. And he, he made a personal investment, history tells us, into the lives of these young men. In, in time, once they are trained, he would then send them back to the Jewish regions of the world, the known world at that time, which was under the authority of Babylon, and they would act as his governors and his managers of his kingdom. Among those that were kidnapped during this period was Daniel, who authored this book, and three other young men, who's, uh, three uh, Jewish men and others, but among them are three Jewish boys whose, whose Babylonian names you know very well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that's where we pick up our story in Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. So all these officials came and they stood before the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the, the pipes, and other musical instruments, bow down to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, just to be clear, this had less to do with religion than it did controlling a world government, controlling a group of the world. In fact, the people that are mentioned here uh, were the governors and leaders from the regions all over the world. 
He called them together because if he could get them to commit out of fear to him that they'll be killed, but in their hearts out of a religious reverence for him, making himself a God, he knew that he would not only have their obedience, but he would have their absolute commitment. That's why he had them not only bow, but also worship this false God of himself. It's a very political savvy move. Verse 7, so at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, they bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It worked. Verse 8, but some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. Verse 11, that decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue that you set up. It is believed that these Babylonians were jealous of the fact that Nebuchadnezzar was putting Jewish boys above their own citizenry. In case you're not understanding, you know, sometimes when we open the Bible, we think everything's religious. Let me be clear, this is political. This is political. For those of you uh, who are watching the election this year, nationalism is not new to Donald Trump. It's been around forever, and this was a move, a nationalistic move. These, these Babylonians did not feel it was fair to have Jewish boys not just ruling, but actually ruling the capital province. In the text we just read, it said that these three boys were actually ruling the province of Babylon. So the capital city, that whole area is being ruled by these three Jewish boys. And these astrologers, which actually, they're not guys who, who measure the moon, Astrologers back here, and the Hebrew word actually refers to religious people, tarot card readers kind of guys. They would look at the stars and they would prophesy. So they were oracles. They were religious leaders. So this to them is a religious movement. They come running into the capital cities and they, well, they narked. And I don't know if you caught it, but in that, they actually blame Nebuchadnezzar. Hey, these are the guys you set up, as if he's saying, we don't want these guys. We never asked for them. Your people, your people are rebelling against you. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar threw, flew into a rage, and he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when, uh, when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and what then, what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Now, I, again, this is a story you've been hearing from childhood. I, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, of course, we teach the ch our children these verses, but, you know, it's, it's kind of ironic. If you go into a Bible, a Christian Bible store, or uh, uh, you, you, have, you have a Noah's Ark, plastic toys, you know, animals included, everything but all the millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people who are <laughs> drowned outside. Or how about Jonah and the whale? You can buy that plastic figure at Target. Or maybe later Daniel in the lion's den, little furry animals, how cute they are. I mean, this is a real story. This is real. Can you imagine 
how much money Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar and how much time he must have invested in these boys to give them a second chance. This guy is not a good man. Nebuchadnezzar kills people like you and I drink water without a thought. You know, kings did that. That's how they reign with fear. It, it, just about every king throughout history who's trying to garner support uses both religion and fear in order to keep people's submission. You know, when you see movies where there's a king, you'll notice that to his right and his left, there is an oversized, uh, extra granular person that's twice as tall as the king, and he stands there, you know, with one of those roundish sword type things. And it is history in the dark ages often when somebody would approach the king. Um, if the king did not tip the scepter at the person, those people would kill them without even being told. Fear. It's what kings do. But for whatever reason, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't kill him right away. He gives him a second chance. Can you imagine what a great job they must be doing as the, as the leaders of the province of Babylon in order for him not to have him killed? This was his out. Can you imagine how scary it was for these boys to be drugged into the king's court knowing how hated they were by these astrologers and knowing how crazy mad this king would be? I mean, this is a true, real story with real people and real emotions. And I don't want you to miss the question that the king asked. It reveals his heart. Verse 15, I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing fire. And here's the question. And then, when I, great Nebuchadnezzar, throw you into the fiery furnace, what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Um, I have this need to warn you in case you ever run for president. As you're watching the election or not, it is really, really important that you never read your own press releases because you'll start to believe them. Um, whenever I read this, I think of the t architects of the Titanic who in 1912, right, actually made a statement the week before it sailed, even God herself can't bury this ship underwater. <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? I know people lost their lives, but it seems like every time somebody says that, God goes, oh, I love a challenge. It's going to be hard. I think I'll do it with water. Nebuchadnezzar, overflowing with vainly placed self-confidence, asked them a foolish question. What God will be able to rescue you from my power? What an arrogant jerk. What a overconfident person. Be careful not to surround yourself with people who tell you what you want to hear. They're going to end up making you like this guy. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. I like that. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. We do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. And then the next line. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you today that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Did you see it? They were resolved to be faithful to God no matter what the cost. That's what it looks like 
to be resolved. Even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Resolved. The definition of resolved is to be firmly determined to do something, no matter its cost to you. To William Travis, he was resolved to, well, listen to his own words. I am determined, we can change that to resolved, to sustain myself as long as possible and die like a soldier who never forgets what is due to his honor and that of his country. To these boys, to never bow to any other gods or worship any other than the one true God, even, even if he chooses not to save them. We will not bow. Let's be super honest with each other for a second. It's one thing to be Texas proud, sitting here in an air-conditioned room with no one breathing down our necks, threatening our lives. But it's quite another thing to be less than 200 people in a small mission surrounded by thousands of people who are promising that they're not only going to kill you, they're going to burn your bodies, no matter what you do. It's one thing to grow up in the Bible belt behind the protection of the most powerful military in the world and claim to be a follower of Jesus in a program that makes you feel safe in VBS or fun that's geared towards you. It's actually quite another to be standing before the most powerful man in the world who sets laws without any human accountability and feel the heat of the fire threatening to throw, uh, that he's threatening to throw you into on your back and say to him, we will not bow. Let's be honest. Most of us don't have a problem with missing church because we don't feel like going or it's raining, it's a little wet out, or we're tired and we want a day off. Most of us haven't told somebody about how they can avoid hell through Jesus because, well, I just don't know who to tell or how to tell them. Or it just doesn't come up. I don't think about it. Not everybody in the Bible is resolved, though. You'll remember this story. At the Last Supper, Jesus had been telling the disciples that he was about to leave them. He's going to die, and they don't understand that. He keeps saying, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, and where I go, you can't go, and they're freaking out. But as the tradition of this group of men that followed Jesus, Peter speaks up. He seems to be the spokesman of them. And he says this to Jesus in John 13, 37. Why can't I come now, Lord? I'm ready to die for you. (laughs) What, that's not funny to you? You know how the story goes. In a few hours, Jesus will ask Peter and a couple others to pray for him. Remember that? Just pray. Stay awake. I'm having a hard time. Pray for me. And what will he do? Sleep. They've got to sleep. They won't even stay awake. And then a couple hours after that, Luke 22 records this for us. So they arrested Jesus and they led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. And Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. You know why she's staring at him. She's trying to remember who he is. Just like life. Finally, she said, this man, he's one of Jesus' followers. Peter denied it. Well, when he said, I don't even know him. Wherever you go, Jesus, I'll go. I'll even die for you. I don't know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I am not. No way, dude. 
About an hour later, someone else insisted. This must be one of them because he's a Galilean. His accent, it's Jesus' accent. Peter said, man, I don't know what you all are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. That's what it looks like not to be resolved. What's wrong with us? I actually think the reason we find ourselves more like Peter than maybe the other three boys or William Travis, I think James, when we studied it, talked about it. James 1, 5 through 8 says, if, if you need wisdom, and he's talking about wisdom as it relates to troubles in life and difficulty, ask God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Don't waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as the wave of a sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Here's the point. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And they are unstable in everything they do. Peter, and often our hearts are unsettled. Our resolve is about as consistent as the weather because our loyalty our resolve depends on what the circumstances are, what take, uh, when it takes place, and how we feel at the time. I want you to notice that in the last 36 hours of Jesus' life, Peter went from, where are you going that we can't go, and why can't I go with you, and I'm willing to die, to I'm too tired to stay awake and, and not pray, to courage again and following Jesus into Pilate's courtyard, to I don't know him. And actually, this text that I just read you is gracious. It says that he actually blasphemed the name of God to prove that he wasn't a follower of Jesus. You know, it depended on the minute. Peter didn't lie. He meant that he would die for Christ at the moment. But when the rubber hit the road, he had a million reasons to live. I, I want you to understand, Colonel Travis didn't want to die. That's why he asked for help. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said our God is capable of saving us. They wanted to live. But death was a better option for that group of people. For Travis, it was, it was a better option than dishonoring his command and his responsibilities. To Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they couldn't fathom bowing to anybody else but God. They were resolved to die before they bowed. It was fathomable to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that they would die. It was unfathomable that they would worship anyone other than Jehovah. What is fathomable for us? For Peter... It was fathomable to live on so that he could talk of Jesus' impact on people's life. You can rationalize it. What was unfathomable was dying. I just, there's, no, there's no good in dying. There's no point in me being arrested today. I might as well lie. This is what it meant when Paul talked about this in Galatians 2.20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live this earthly body by trusting. Pause. Leave that up there, Bill. Pause. Think about that. How does he live? How did Paul do it? How did Paul courageously live in poverty, shipwreck, difficulty? Why didn't he go back to the comforts of his wealthy family? Because he lived his body by faith, trusting in the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for him. It was it was fathomable for Paul to give up everything for Jesus. What was unfathomable is to go back and be wealthy and lose all this. 
he fell in love with his Savior. How could I ever return his grace with rejection? He was resolved to live this life in the body by trusting in Jesus. And oh, by the way, Peter also eventually gets it. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Long text, but he's talking about this very thing. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had. What's that next line? And be ready to suffer too. Oh, this isn't a very encouraging message. I thought you said, prayed that it would be encouraging. You're here for a purpose. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends were surprised that you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. But remember that they will have to face a God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they're destined to die, like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. The end of the world is coming soon. Because of that, or therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most importantly of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. That's why we're going to do our next series. It's personal, not business. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from this great variety of spiritual gift. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have a wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you'll be blessed, for the glorious Spirit of God rests on you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. In other words, it doesn't count if you're persecuted for being a jerk. That is specifically written for that Baptist church from Kansas. If you are a jerk to the lost, you deserve to be punished. That's basically what he's saying. Verse 16, but it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who never obey God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So if you are suffering in a matter that pleases God, here we go. Keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. I, I do not know what's coming, but I assure you it will be a lot like what has been. When you see video of our brothers and sisters being massacred by jihadists, it's alarming because you've never seen it before, but it is not new. Our brothers and sisters have been being burnt at the stake for thousands of years because they chose to be resolved in their commitment to God over all else. 
trust. That's the answer. Trusting in God. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. The life I live in the body, I live by trust or faith in God and the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Trust. Faith. Believing that he's got a plan that you can't see. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3.16, the story picks up. They replied, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. That in itself is courageous. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, to answer your question, sir, the God whom we serve is able to save us. Thank you for asking today. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. A lot of people who read this story says, well, he didn't. Yes, he did. Some say, well, what if he wouldn't have saved them from the fire? They said he would. They still win. You see, that's the ironic part about being a child of God. When you are adopted into his family through the blood of Jesus Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit, the truth is when you die, you win. You see, this is work here. We've been, we, we've been uh, mistaught. We've been misrepresented. The fact is, life is work. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's why Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, said, if anybody wants to follow me, you're going to have to put your selfish ambition aside, pick up your cross and follow me. Remember that? Those little stories we use at camp. And then we have a military theme. And then everybody picks up their little crosses at the end of the fire and they surrender their sin to the Lord. He's not talking about surrendering your sin to the Lord. Your sin's been forgiven. He's talking about surrendering control. He's talking about going to your death in his honor. He's talking about living for his honor. He's talking about being faithful even when you're mistreated. He's talking about being a person of mercy in a time of violence. I know we're upset. Sometimes our American citizenship overrages our, Amer our, our spiritual citizenship. But the truth is, this is just the preliminary activities to our eternity with God. And we keep forgetting that God's got this, and it's hard to go from trusting him with this life to really trusting him with our lives. Please understand that a thousand years from now, every one of us in this room are going to be somewhere. And if you're a child of God, the last thing you're going to be worrying about is the 2016 election. It's not going to be an issue. Why? Because the king of kings is your daddy. Scripture tells us that you'll be sitting on the throne with him. He'll move over and make space like you're his daughter or his son. He'll give you a name, it says, a special name that only you and he know, and he'll write it on a rock. He's that intimate with you. This isn't about religion, my friends. This is about a relationship with the living God who sent his only begotten son to die for you. He sent his son to die for you. It's that personal with him. And now all he asks is you to live for him. Well, that's scary. Yeah. He said it was going to be scary. That's why he said he had to leave. He had to leave. Why? So that somebody greater than him could come that could empower you. It's the Holy Spirit. I know, we're Baptists. We're not supposed to believe in him. Oh, but we do. We do. And I assure you that the role of the Holy Spirit in your life is not just to convict you of sin. If you're saved, your sin has been dealt with. But it's actually to empower you for the struggle and the battle and the daily, the daily events. It's to give you courage. It's to give you strength. It's to help you understand the scriptures. It's to give you joy. You know, we sang this morning, and I love this music. Man, I love Heather's voice. I'm going to embarrass her for a second. When she starts wailing like that, it's so good. Is the word wailing, vamping, whatever it is musicians do that I wish I could do. I'm going to start doing it in the shower. I'm going to have to send the girls out of the house and start doing that. There's something about that. It just, man, I'm like, yeah, that's worthy of the king and so good. It's really bad if it's not good, though. 
Have you ever heard it? Not good. We were in a church once in Wisconsin. This was many, many moons ago, so I can talk about it. And we were going to have special music. Oh, gosh, if, some, if you do this, please forgive me. I'm about to slam you. And we were going to have our offering. Remember when we used to do an offertory? Well, the offertory that morning was a lady who had, was introduced as having multiple musical talents. And when you're in a small church of about 80 people and somebody's introduced as having multiple musical talents, you can be sure you're about to experience something. <laughs> the pastor called her up during the offertory. The plate starts passing, and she starts whistling through the first verse. It ain't pretty. Then she pulls out a saw. I'm in the front row, and I am losing it. I, I promise you this is true. And even my very gentle wife is crying. We're laughing so hard, going, oh, yes, Jesus. What, Jules? The pa oh, the pastor was laughing as well. We were, we were just, it was just devastated. And, you know, the, bless their hearts. Uh, you, know, you, know, you, know what, you know what the people of the church do when somebody performs and doesn't perform well? You know what you do. Everybody gets in line to tell them how good they did. Ugh. Sometimes we need a little more honesty in the church. That's great. I hope that God blesses you as you tour the country doing that. Don't worry about coming back. The, th the thing is that God is worthy of more than our music and our Sundays and our checks. He wants our lives. He wants your life as a mom. I'm too busy. I can't serve him. You are serving him with that out-of-control, sin-natured two-year-old. Your job is to raise that child in the love and knowledge of the Lord. Oh, he's a rambunctious Texas two-year-old. No, he's a sinful, rebellious child that needs to understand his need for a Savior, even a two. Well, how do you do that to a two-year-old that doesn't have the English language down? A little bit at a time. That's not acceptable. You are allowed to rebel. I'm just not going to watch it, and you're not allowed to do it in front of me. So you can go have a tantrum in your bed. I remember da James Dobson once saying, no kid ever died of screaming too much. <laughs> but if you pick up the kid every time they scream, you teach them that that's a way to get attention. For me, and I hope for you, I can imagine my kid screaming for four hours and me wanting to run away. I can't imagine raising a brat. Apparently, that's rare. I want to say something now as a pastor. I can imagine having a church that struggles with being kind to each other and sin and adultery and all that stuff. I can imagine that. I can't imagine being at a church that's a bunch of jerks. Self-righteous jerks who, are, who don't love the lost. Can't imagine it and I won't ever do it again. It's not worth it. I could be home preparing for football. Yeah, I know, who, do, who am I gonna root for? I, I don't, I, whoever I want to, whoever's better that year. <laughs> I mean, I, the truth is, this is real. And it is real scary at times. The good news is, that we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we got Daniel in the lion's den, and those are great stories. Those are the stories we love to tell. We got Noah in his ark. But we often forget 
other questions, like, for instance, where was Daniel when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the only ones bowing, not bowing? I'm not saying that Daniel bowed. I'm just saying that it doesn't say he didn't bow. And the good news is that Peter did bow. But God still used him. So as I stand here with you this morning, I'm not that guy who's not Peter. I'm very much Peter. The moment determines my courage. Do you know what I'm talking about? Remember a week later after Jesus dies and he resurrects? Can you imagine? There's no conversation between Peter and Jesus, but it just strikes me every time. I kind of get chills down my spine when I think of Peter going, I do not know this guy, blankety blank, blank, blankety blank. And then he looks up over that person's shoulder and there's Jesus going, can you imagine? Maybe looking just like that. Can you imagine? Jesus could. And a week later, Jesus is cooking breakfast, and he says, hey, Peter, come here. I've made your breakfast. Let's talk. And not once do we have any, any knowledge of him bringing up Peter's sin. Do you know that? Not once. You know why? Because his sin had been forgiven. It's not the point. Now Jesus had another question to ask him. Peter, do you love me? Oh, Jesus, I love you, and boy, can you make a good fish. Then feed my sheep, buddy. Peter, do you really, really love me? Oh, Jesus, you know I love you. Thank you for asking twice. And feed my, my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And the third time it actually says he got mad. <laughs> How arrogant is he? Probably about as arrogant as me. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. To our knowledge, not once did he say, what was all that about? I told you it would. I was looking at you, Peter. I saw you see me catch your eyes with you. He didn't do that. Why? Been forgiven. And this morning, as I look at these people with resolve, well, let, me, let me read the rest of this. Verse 17, if we are thrown in the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He'll rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. <laughs> what? There's a difference between mad and mad enough where your face goes, apparently. There's a different, ladies, there's a difference between crying and the ugly cry, right? This is the ugly mad. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and they threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because, his, and because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames actually killed the soldiers as they threw these three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement. I'll bet he did. And he exclaimed to his advisors, excuse me, we've got to count the people in the furnace. Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth kind of looks like a god. That's a bad day if you're Nebuchadnezzar. And we sit here and we go, yes, I want to be faithful like that, but I'm more like Peter and I want you to know. 
that you can be resolved even if you're thrown into the furnace if you know your God. Look at Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 to 3. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. That is your dad. And it's not just to the nation of Israel he said this. He told the disciples under the new covenant that I know you're afraid. You don't know where you're going to sleep. But, but look, look at the birds around you, how he adorns them. Look at the flowers, how he knows them. And he knows you so well that he even has the numbers of hair on your head counted. He loves you. Trust him. Well, then why would he let me hurt? Because that's part of what he's doing in the world. If Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not have been in the fiery furnace that day, we'd have nothing to talk about. And if Peter wouldn't have falled, we'd have no hope. Falled. That's Texan for fell. We'd have no hope. You see, the stories of Scripture tell us of men's failures as well as their successes because they give us hope because we too have successes and failures. And God is good in both. He's good in both. And I assure you this morning that it is time for us to decide that we will be resolved. We all respect William Travis. It is a little bit alarming when you actually go to the Alamo, and we've been a few times. I love that. I love the Alamo. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating place. And when you go and read the history and you find out that he was one of the first to die. I honestly don't know if that makes him a bad warrior, honestly, or if that makes him the head of his military. They knew they were going to die, and he went first. That's courageous. I don't know. What I do know is that he would rather die a hero, a man of honor, resolved to his task, than live, having shamed it. And if this man that I know you revere, when I mentioned William Travis this morning, 90% of you started smiling. Oh, that's us. If he's willing to die for something that he'll never see the fruit of, why won't we die for something that we'll see the eternal fruit of? Here is what the Lord says to you this morning from James 4. Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he'll come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrows and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. The application of this morning's message is not do Christianity better. That's not what I'm saying. It's get to know him more and surrender. So what do I do, Mark? Tell him you're weak. Stop figuring out why you're weak. The church keeps telling you to figure it out. I'm telling you, you can't figure it out. This is supernatural. And you have everything you need within you, given to you at the moment of your salvation, to be a man of, or a woman of resolution, to be a man or woman of courage, to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to be like a Daniel, to be like Peter after the denial. That is a gift, my friends. It is not 
something made of religious strength is something made of personal surrender. Let's pray. With every head bowed and, and every eye closed this morning, even if you don't know the Lord, for a few moments, would you just respect our family and just you can look at the ground. But brothers and sisters, I know that we're probably more like Peter than we are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that story. But instead of walking out of here feeling guilty or weak, would you please humble yourself before the Lord and just tell him you want to be courageous? And that if you're going to be, he's going to have to make you courageous. He's going to have to make you courageous at home as you raise your children. He's going to have to make you courageous at work as you face people who don't like you or mistreat you. He's going to have to make you courageous as you face doctors with illnesses that seem to be fatal. I want you to talk to him and ask him to make you a person who is resolved to his plan even if he chooses not to save you in this life. Father, my prayer for us this morning is as a church. As I've studied this this week, I have prayed the prayer I asked them to pray to make me a man of courage and resolution. That would be unthinkable for me to deny you just so I could live. But my prayer is for Carpenter's Way Church this morning. I pray that we would not bow to the altar of growth or wealth at the cost of being resolved to do the work of the king in our poverty and smallness. You are truly the king. You are our dad. You are our senior pastor. You are the Lord of this family. And we declare you such this morning and we ask you to lead us even if it doesn't make human and logical sense. We know full well you can save us, you can succeed us, you can make us wealthy. But if you choose not to, may we remain strong. We pray for our country. We pray for our leaders. We pray for tomorrow night's debate, that the stupid will go away and truth will reign. But if it doesn't, make us a light in what is becoming a darker and darker place. Even if our guy or girl doesn't make it to the White House, may we be proud to be Americans, but passionate to be citizens of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm done. Do you know that for the past four weeks, I have ended before 10 tell every week? The annual business meeting is coming up in November, and I'm asking for a raise. <laughs> have a good Sunday. Bible study will start in 10 minutes. <laughs>